This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Hey friends, welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. Each episode, I sit down with a guest to discuss their life journey and how the grace of God has impacted them along the way. After listening to today's episode, I hope you are encouraged that God can use you right now in the midst of your day-to-day life. Yes, it requires daily surrender and trust, but we must remember His grace is enough. Today, Anna Patak shares her story of being an overcomer of human trafficking. Before continuing, You may not want to listen to the episode with little people around. Anna not only shares her journey with us, she speaks of Jesus' redeeming work in her life, how she is partnering to raise awareness of human trafficking, and signs to pay attention to in our day-to-day lives. Listen to Anna's words regarding her trafficker. I just believed him because how could this man ever hurt me? Who says he loves me, he values me, all these things. During this also, I would wake up on the kitchen floor. I didn't know where I was at. And he would say, oh, you were just sleepwalking. And 99% sure he was drugging me. I don't know with what. He had a drug dealer. There was a cop. I do not think he was involved with it or aware of it. But they would watch the Howard Stern show together. And whatever was done on there, I had to do. So I was still going to school at this time. So for people who think human trafficking is, you know, someone taken overseas or someone with chains, you know, chained to a bed somewhere or kidnapped or something like that, that happens that way. But it's not nearly as common as what I'm talking about. I always say my chains were invisible. I didn't know I had them. My friends didn't know I had them because I was still barely and rarely going to school. But my friends are always, there seems something off, but they couldn't put a finger on it because I seemed so happy. There was no bruises or anything. I am certain after listening to today's episode, your eyes will be more open to the reality of human trafficking and to the redeeming power of God. Hi, Anna. Welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. It's so great to have you with us today. Will you take a few minutes and just introduce us to you and your family and a little bit about what you advocate for? Well, first off, thank you for having me. I'm really excited about this. It's always great to see a platform where it's Christ-centered and empowering other people to follow Christ. So I'm really excited to be here. My family right now have a wonderful husband who loves the Lord. His name is Nick. And then I have two beautiful children that each have four legs and tails. <laughs> and they think they are just rule the world. Their name is Liam and Ava. Ava is a trip. She's Miss Independent. And then Liam, who is actually sitting right near me right now because he never leaves my side. One of your dogs I know recently broke their leg. Which one is that? And how is he? If anybody here has children and you understand an injured child, imagine a child who can't tell you what is wrong with them. And so you have to watch their behavior because you're like, what the heck is wrong with you? She fractured her leg while at a dog birthday party. And people are going to laugh at that. But it's like a Raleigh thing. (laughs) And Ava was in the park and she fell on her brother the wrong way and fractured her leg. And then if that wasn't bad enough, a month and a half after having the cast on, she got ulcer on her leg. So she can't go back to the park for about two months. That's fun times for mama, right? 
my gosh. Yeah. So fun. So fun. We got to do it for kids, you know? So Anna, you are a survivor of sex trafficking. Will you take us back to when that part of your life began and just share your story, how that happened, how you got out of that? Just anything you're willing to share with us to educate our listeners? Well, first of all, I think the term survivor is really, really empowering. I think that whoever chooses to use it, that's awesome. That's empowering. But as a child of God, I like to say overcomer. Funny story. I was at a conference and a bunch of the overcomers, we were all having like a little get together beforehand. And and I told us like, you know, I'm going to start using the word overcomer. They're like, that's cool. We're at this award ceremony at the conference. And this guy is speaking. He's like, you know what? You guys aren't survivors. You're overcomers. And everybody looks at me and they're like, he used your word. I was like, it's in the Bible. I didn't take it. for. We just added the R. That's awesome. Then Mandisa came out with that song. I'm like, I should have trademarked it, man. You should have. You'd be famous. There's a uh, song out there for people who don't know by Mandisa. It's called Overcomer. If you're having a bad day, play that. I promise it will lift your spirits. But that's the reason that I use it is because I really identify with the fact that I'm more than my story. I appreciate you and like other people who get that. So just thought I'd put that little thing out there. And It actually happened. I was trafficked in North Carolina. So for people who think it's overseas, it's here. North Carolina is like number eight in the country. Last time I checked for human trafficking, and we can talk about that later. Why? Yeah, so I was adopted from Calcutta, India to an American family when I was an infant. And everything was pretty normal. I say normal, but there was a lot of crazy stuff that happened as far as no parents were divorced yet. So let's just say that. Somewhere around the ages of two to four, the sexual abuse began by a family member. And it breaks my heart when I meet my friends who have kids now and like they have a two-year-old or a four-year-old and I'm like, how, why, how? Fast forward to when I was like eight years old-ish, my parents divorced. Uh, My mom remarried a man who is physically abusive or he would beat us. And then my dad, they both just started remarrying a lot of different people. It just kept going. Uh, My dad married a drug addict. So he had to deal with all that. I think what I really struggled with was an identity issue through elementary school. I was around a predominantly white population. There were no dolls that looked like me. There were no celebrities that looked like me. And so I thought that if I was blonde hair, blue eyed, that was beautiful. And you'll see a lot of self-portraits. I would, you know, you come home with a painting and teachers are like, paint your life. It would always be blonde hair, blue eyes. So if you are listening and you have blonde hair, blue eyes, just know I was your biggest fan in <laughs> elementary school. After elementary school, my mom decided that she was a lesbian and so had to deal with that. It was just this continuous instability. Also in middle school, I tried to commit suicide maybe, I think two times. And then I developed an eating disorder. I was told growing up, if you had curves, you were ugly. So I desperately wanted to be skinny. It got to the point where I was counting down how many sips of sweet tea I drank. So I was hospitalized twice in a mental hospital. When we get into high school, did my dad remarry someone by this point? I can't remember, but he remarried other people later. Another thing that was important to note about my dad's relationships is that all of the women were significantly younger. That'll kind of make more sense in a second when I share more of my story. In my junior year of high school, I began working at a movie theater, and this is all taking place in Greensboro, North Carolina. And while I'm at this movie theater, 
I meet this 40-year-old man who's a projectionist. He hears about my love for music, and he's like, why don't I teach you how to play guitar for free? And what is every high schooler's favorite word? Free. I began these guitar lessons with him, and they became more like we started becoming a relationship and became intimate and things like that. For Can about- I interrupt you and ask, were you taking guitar lessons at his home? Were you all meeting in a neutral site? Were you at the theater? We were at the theater. Yeah, it wasn't until when we became intimate a few months in that we went to his house. About six months in, I mean, I was always crazy skipping school, like things like that. And my mom was like, okay, you got to move out. This is, and I'm still in high school at this point. I think a lot of people get angry at that, but I give her grace. Parents do the best with what they know how to do. If you don't have a lot of healing yourself, you don't know how to parent healthily. So I try to give her that grace. So had to leave because of that. And he's like, well, why don't you come live with me? He's like, you know, we're in a relationship. And again, because of what I'd seen with my dad's relationships growing up, a younger woman with an older man didn't seem weird. That just did not seem weird. So that's why I made the point about my dad's relationships earlier. I moved in with him and everything seemed normal. Again, people like that's not normal. But again, there was, it was just normal for me. A few months in, he said, why don't you be a part of my art project? And I was like, ooh, okay. He's like, you could be my number one model. I was like, okay, okay, yeah, number one model. Let's do it. I'd be gorgeous to him. And he's like, you know, you're beautiful, all these things. That this girl with abandonment issues, lack of identity, desperate for self-worth, and validation from a man. Yeah. These are all the things he was saying to match those problems. In the beginning, they started out more innocent, and then they became more sexual. I pretty much just say, like, you know, he forced me to do unthinkable things. And that's kind of all I ever say about that. But what I will say is one day I was in the kitchen, the calendar, I was like, what are these tally marks? Well, the tell me times we made love. I was like, okay, I just believed him because how could this man ever hurt me? Who says he loves me? He values me, all these things. During this also, I would wake up on the kitchen floor. I didn't know where I was at. And he would say, oh, you were just sleepwalking. And 99% sure he was drugging me. I don't know with what. He had a drug dealer. There was a cop. I do not think he was involved with it or aware of it, but they would watch the Howard Stern show together and whatever was done on there, I had to do. So I was still going to school at this time. So for people who think human trafficking is, you know, someone taken overseas or someone with chains, you know, chained to a bed somewhere or kidnapped or something like that, that happens that way, but it's not nearly as common as what I'm talking about. I always say my chains were invisible. I didn't know I had them. My friends didn't know I had them because I was still barely and rarely going to school. But my friends are always, there seems something off, but they couldn't put a finger on it because I seemed so happy. There was no bruises or anything. And my teachers also, they would call me. They're like, Anna, get to school. This is right when cell phones started to come out. And I was like, no, I'm with my boyfriend. They're like, no, get to school. And I just wouldn't do it. Uh, There was another time for the medical professionals out there. I was with him going to a clinic for him to get examined. I think he had Bell palsy and it was like a urgent care. And I remember I was with him and the doctor looked at me and he's like, who's the girl? Because I look young now. I know. I know. (laughs) You'll see a picture when she posts this podcast. I look young. I know. So you have to imagine how young I looked then. And he's like, oh, that's my girlfriend. And the doctor looked at 
me and looked right back at his paper. He didn't ask any questions. And I think that's, you know, medical professionals being nervous to get involved when you don't see the signs, lack of awareness of what human trafficking looks like, and maybe some apathy. And then there was another time I was hospitalized for extreme bleeding in my girl part. And they heard me talking about a 40-year-old boyfriend and they didn't ask any questions either. And he wasn't with me. A lot of places people could have stepped in. I've had a few men ask me, men of God, they're like, why did no man step in? I just don't think, one, they didn't have the opportunity, but it can be really awkward to say, are you being abused? And especially because I didn't see it as abuse. So this all goes on for a year and a half. And then he starts talking about marriage. And I have one thing that has not changed is that I'm a strong-willed personality. (laughs) I have that. My husband will say that. I was like, I don't want to marry this guy, so I need to find someplace to go. So there was a girl at the movie theater who needed a roommate. So I was like, okay, so I'll move. And I'm a senior in high school at this point. So I started moving things behind the scenes. This is before social media. He'd be like, where's your hoodie? I'm like, oh, I left it at her house. Where's this? Oh, I left it at school. And then one day I got fired from the movie theater and it was a clean break because like I said, there was no social media. There was no, let me check her Instagram. Oh, she's at Papa John's with friends. He also asked my friends at the theater, like, where is she? And they're like, this is really weird asking where she is. And so they didn't tell him. Fast forward a few years after this, I met up with some girls from the theater and we had lunch and just caught up and they're like, Anna, something weird is going on. I'm like, what's going on? They're like, he keeps asking girls to be a part of his art project and do all these things. And I was like, I thought that was our special thing. I thought that we did that together. They're like, I don't know. He keeps asking everybody. Fast forward to 2009. He died of colon cancer. I was like, I need to get those pictures back. I was like, there's just 20 of them, you know, but I still want to get them back. I don't want his family to see them. So I go to his sister. Hey, there's some stuff at the house I'd like to get. Can I go with you? And she's like, I have what you're looking for. They're in my safe. We'll meet up different time. I was like, okay. So we met up a few months later and she gave me this huge box. I was like, what, what is in this box? It's massive. I say like maybe one and a half feet tall, two feet, two feet in width. I was like, I don't know what I left in here. So I get home, I open the box and that's when I found out he had mass produced everything. There was probably thousands of pictures in there. Eight by tens, four by sixes of the things that I did. Was it just pictures of you or were there other women as well? Just me. I just remember I was like, what? I was just confused because again, I still didn't understand how to label the pain. And at this point, you're what age? I don't know. Early 20s, maybe? This was in 2009. What year are we now? 2019. So 10 years ago. Yeah, 10 years ago. Wow, time flies. Yes, it does. Grateful (laughs) God redeems so you don't even think about those days anymore. I went to the printing shop where he printed the pictures because I wanted answers. And the reason they knew who he was, because he had a friend there who worked there. He would come in the middle of the night and he'd do the instant machine. So he was paying cash. He wasn't doing it on a CD or anything like that. And his friend would just let him make the copies. So they knew who I was talking about. Friend no longer worked there. So I remember I was like, do you remember the girls? They're like, oh, yeah, there's like a blonde hair girl. And, a brunette. and I showed them a picture of me. And I was like, do you remember this girl? And they're like, oh, my gosh. Whoa, no. If I had seen that. They're like, who is she? I was like, that girl is me. And they were like, what? They were shocked. They were just like, wow, we would have reported it. So that tells you how dead I look. A few like years later, I don't know. 
I was taking sociology classes and hearing about human trafficking. I was like, this is intriguing. Then I saw the movie Taken and I was like, oh, wow, this is a pretty cool topic. Like it's overseas and, you know, maybe I could do a missions trip. And I started learning more and more what it looked like. And then one day I read an article. It was in Wilmington, North Carolina. And it said, young girl meets older guy. Older guy asked her to do an art project. And it kept going. And I was like, wait, that's what happened to me. That's a form of trafficking. I did not realize that pornography can be a form of trafficking. And then everything hit me because I had a label for the pain. And I realized that was wrong. And I kept questioning myself, like, does this really happen? Was this really abuse? When I realized the label for my pain, and after, you know, I had battled with in my head, I had a counselor, we were working through it. And I realized I needed more than that. And again, my strong world personality helped me here. So I called a nonprofit in Jersey called Safe Horizon. Safe Horizon referred me to a nonprofit in Raleigh called NCCASA, North Carolina Coalition Against Sexual Assault. I told myself, I need to have a program that's two weeks. I want to, <laughs> you know, and then I was like, because I want to come home. I want to go to college, meet a guy, pick a fence. Like I had a plan. And of course, God's like, stop. I'm laughing at your plans. Like, what is wrong with you? You're not in charge. So I ended up going to Mercy because there was very few programs for girls who were adults. There wasn't a place for me to go in North Carolina because there was no place for my age. All the programs in this country that I would go to besides Mercy were a year to two years long. And Mercy was estimated six months. So I was like, Mercy it is. Um, I graduated in 2012. It was the most beautiful yet hardest thing I've probably ever done besides my marriage. It's constant growth and the staff just love you. It was a free of charge program. I am so glad I went because I realized I was a new creation. I realized that I'm beautifully and wonderfully made, that I have a hope in a future. And I remember one of my greatest revelations there was it wasn't my fault. The thing about Mercy is they cater the program towards you. There's a few required readings, but the counselors really tailor it to you individually. So I had to do this workbook on sexual abuse. I remember God was like, it's not your fault. How could you have known any better? He was an adult. You were a child especially with the things that happened to me growing up, my maturity was even lower. Oh my gosh, I ran around yelling. I was like, it's not my fault. It's not my fault to see that. And here I am. <laughs> this is so today. was it through your time at Mercy Multiplied that you met and became a believer in Jesus? Growing up, I went to the church. I went to church, um, but there was no heart knowledge. It was also very liberal. So it wasn't really biblically based. I think like in my early 20s, I started going to a non-denominational church and that's where I really, God started tugging on my heart and like really trying to work on me. And then at Mercy, I think is when I got that heart knowledge. It was like, I'd already known about it, but like I was able to finally receive love. I was finally able to believe in myself. I knew who I was in Christ. So it wasn't necessarily when I accepted Christ, but it's when I really understood how much God loved me and it sunk into my bones and my heart. And now is Mercy Multiplied in Nashville? So Mercy was founded like, what, 35 years ago? It was based off the Teen Challenge model. And the founder who started it, Nancy Alcorn, not married to Randy Alcorn, people think that all the time. And she had worked in the prisons and she had just seen the revolving door. And she's like, there's got to be something better than this. So she developed Mercy. So the headquarters is in Nashville. But there are homes in St. Louis, Missouri, Sacramento, California, Monroe, Louisiana, Toronto, New Zealand, 
There's about to be one in Destin, Florida. And these houses range from having 20 girls to 40 girls. So the corporate one is in Nashville. The ages now range, as of a few months ago, it was 13 to 28, and now it's 13 to 32, which is amazing. And so the minors and the birth moms, because they have a pro-life program, they live in Nashville. And it's funny, I wanted to be in Nashville so bad. But then after finding out that pregnant women and teenagers live there, I was like, thank God I wasn't there because I ended up in St. Louis. So you don't get to pick. But if you are pregnant or a minor, you you know where you're going. But the staff prays and then places you. But you can't go to, oh, Bradford, England. That was the other one. You don't get to choose where you're going unless you're a minor or a birth mom or if you're like in a different country. Because I was like, what if I get to go to England? They're like, nope, doesn't work that way. You're talking about Mercy Multiplied, and it's come full circle for me because my family lives in Nashville. Oh, cool. And my sister and her husband, when they lived up in Nashville, went to Christ Church. And I remember having only, you know, visiting my sister probably two or three times a year. I remember Nancy Alcorn standing up on stage at her church. This has been at least 10 years ago and talking about Mercy and being completely amazed at the vision and the mission behind it. And so now to have this conversation with you, someone who has graduated from the program, and to know that it's they're really doing God's work, they're really sharing Christ with people is incredible. I think once what's so great is how they continue to evolve in like really effective ways. So for example, they really have a heart for girls who've come out of human trafficking. But what they really understand is that you need to have a different program for people who come out of trafficking because what a lot of people don't understand is the dynamic with the healing. A lot of these girls have been controlled. They need to learn how to make their own decisions. They don't need to be told what to do. And that's not what Mercy does. They need to have a program where they have more options. So I think they're, they might even get a new, I think, a house specifically for those girls because they see the difference. I lived with 29 other girls. So Monroe, Louisiana has 20 and all the other ones have 40 except for St. Louis had 30. It was definitely like, I think the first three months I was like, I I can't, I can't deal with this. And then when you finally get used to it, that's when you're about to graduate. You're like, man, I miss these, like these girls, we're still very close. And if we meet a Mercy sister that we knew, like they go to a different home, like we're still really close. And I think because I've got a public platform, a lot of them reach out to me, right? which is very humbling to be able to encourage them like that. It was definitely the hardest thing. But it was the most it had the most beautiful response and something else in my professional work. A lot of nonprofits contact me because they're like, whatever they did worked. They don't want to like sit there and take notes on like their plan or anything. But they're like, what did they do in the curriculum that worked for you? Because clearly, seven years later, after graduating, I'm, I'm still doing well, right? I think what comes down to it is that they teach you how to make good choices. When you've gone through abuse, it comes in waves. God brings stuff up when you're ready. And so you need to know how to call a safe person or how to process it or how to work through it mentally until you can get to a safe person, things like that. I mean, there's no way I would be able to marry married if I had not gone there. Well, speaking of your platform, you have a strong social media presence. You have spoken in various places around the world. You have helped make laws. Can you speak what you're doing to increase awareness of human trafficking and what you're doing at this point to continue to work towards ending human trafficking? Yes. It started out a lot of just sharing my story and stuff like that. But over time, God told me I was more than my story. We talked about that earlier. The easiest way to explain what I do now 
in a way that makes sense to most people is that I'm the Indian version of Legally Blonde. Because I'll say I do work in fashion and law and they're just like, you're so unfocused. Go figure out yourself some more because you need to be able to focus on one no, thing. girl. <laughs> yeah, no. And then people meet, then they assume I'm an attorney and I'm like, nope, nope, not an attorney because my husband and I actually plan on moving overseas at some point. But I do work in policy. So like you said, help drafting laws, consult legal figures. Like right now I'm working with a nonprofit in Greensboro, North Carolina, and some legislators in Raleigh because we're writing a law to expand kind of where we already are now with human trafficking. I was very blessed to be the overcomer who testified to get the Safe Harbor Act passed in North Carolina, which was the first piece of legislation that directly targeted human trafficking in North Carolina six-ish years ago. And so I'll be testifying for this one And then we had a law, a bill I testified for on education, and it didn't pass, but then later another one did. We're trying to increase funding so stuff about human trafficking can be taught in schools. But that's a pretty hard thing to do because a lot of parents don't want their kids to do it. So what we've been doing is addressing human trafficking as a public health crisis. And how that works is a lot of people who buy sex have grown up being sexually abused. So they're like, let me watch porn. And then it evolves into buying a person. In the beginning, we're talking to kids about like, these unhealthy behaviors could lead to this, or this is why you're at risk or something like that. So there's already a curriculum by abolition NC to be used in schools. So evolving the legislation in North Carolina is a big part of what I'm doing. And a big focus I have is with the link between pornography and sex trafficking and educating people on that because of the laws in the state and in the country, basically a lot of pornography exists on sites and things like that because taking it down is seen as a violation of freedom of speech. Because if you take down pornography, then why aren't you taking down a bathing suit site? So we have to come from a criminal aspect of saying, well, showing kids who are doing sexual acts is different. We're still in the beginning stages of that, but we're getting a lot of momentum. Now for the fashion part that I do, I launched a collection with Elegant Tees at New York Fashion Week in 2015. And tell us a little bit about Elegant Tees really quickly for those who don't know. Elegant Tees is a ethical fashion brand who hires overcomers of sex trafficking in Nepal to make their clothes. They're taught a trade. They're taught what Jesus says about them. And they are paid a fair wage. So basically that prevents them from re-entry. They have a skill. They're making their own money. I can't share the stories I've heard about them. And your purchase with them really does restore their lives. So I did that collection. It was called Freedom is the New Beautiful Collection. I want to do Freedom is the New Sexy. But I was like, I don't think that's exactly what I'm going for. Right. So, right. Yeah. People would be like, wait, what? I don't know. Um, Sexy, beautiful, both great, but maybe not perceived in our culture the same way. Yeah, maybe not. And now I'm just collaborating with different brands like Design for Joy, which if you follow Amber's podcast, you're going to know about who they are. Um, They're in Raleigh. And uh, I recently designed for the Dressember campaign, which was really awesome. They also work with Elegant Tees, but they're a campaign where You wear a dress every day in December to raise awareness, and they've raised millions of dollars for 12 grand partners. So, And so I also know that you are starting your own blog and YouTube channel in the future. What are the goals of starting that blog and YouTube channel? I'm going to be starting a blog called Fair and Chic. God gave me those words like a year and some change ago, and I kept putting it on the back burner. Um, And then finally, God was like closing every door for employment. And I was like, okay, let's get this started. So the theme will be freedom, fashion and faith. 
for the fashion element, I will be promoting ethical brands, talking about my opinions of these fast fashion brands like Forever 21s, and then collaborating with other brands. The freedom part is talking about other advocates, talking about my journey, healing, being a resource for women who are overcoming similar stuff. The faith part will also be resourced because I really didn't want to do the faith thing, but I was like, I can't do this work without incorporating Jesus because that's the whole reason that I'm able to do what I do. That will be the goals of what I want to do with it. And then the YouTube channel will actually be a joint effort with my husband and I, but he'll continue to do his full-time job. My husband, our last name is Patak. So if you guys see my it's Patak, um, not Tak, not P-Tak, it's Patak, it's Polish. And um, they hear that my husband is an engineer, but they've never met him. So they assume that he's Indian because Patak does kind of sound Indian. It and then does. he's an engineer. I'm Indian. So they say, so I'm like, nope, he is white. He is an engineer. <laughs> he is white. And he's just great. But so we'll be doing it together. And he's super nerdy. So it will be to really make people just laugh. But also I'm going to do stuff with freedom and beauty and things like that. So we say the way that we connect everything is all things nerdy, all things girly. Also being that encouragement to women who've been sexually abused, that you can have a great marriage. And we'll probably talk a little bit about things that we've overcome and gone through. And um, like I said, just that encouragement for other couples who have similar past like we do. Well, what are some things you can share for the listeners who just to easily increase awareness of human trafficking? I think sometimes, like you had already mentioned, we have this idea that it's overseas or it's someone bringing a big van load of people in to do something. What are some tips of things that we can watch for in our day-to-day life? Well, I will say once you know how to look for it, you will never be able to go on vacation again. You will never be able to just like travel or anything. Not to scare like you away. <laughs> yeah, because you'll see it everywhere. Like I told Nick, I was like, I want to go to Thailand. And I was like, no. And I was like, let's go to Vegas. I was like, oh, no. There's a few signs that are really important. Tattoos. Oh. Like one time I remember I was in court. I did a legal internship in New Hanover County. And the girl had the game t- highlighted on her eyelids. And the game is another name for prostitution. The pimps also do stuff like out of ownership. So like they'll put names. I know it's really hard to spot. You also have the barcodes. They are a sign of ownership. But the numbers will be the prison number of the trafficker. So barcode is really uh, an easy one to see. If you see things on like eyelids, like the game or this, you can't really spot this unless you have them open their mouths. But sometimes they have them inside their bottom lip. Um, tattoos there but now people get tatted up all the time so it's really hard to see a big place is like Asian massage parlors Um, there's been a lot of busts in North Carolina specifically for this so you might see like a massage parlor that says Chinese massage and I guarantee you if you go back at like 11 p.m. that thing is still open and that's Mm -hmm. something really big to take note of and you very rarely see anybody going inside so you'll see like the curtains cover everything I think that what's really important is knowing how to report it. Yes. So a number you can call is the Polaris Project hotline, which is in D.C. You can ask questions there. You can report it. A big issue with human trafficking is corruption. Um, And unfortunately, like you saw in my story, there is law enforcement who is a part of the criminal activity. But there are some amazing law enforcement who are doing good work. And Polaris knows exactly who those people are. 
in your local area. So the number is 188-3737-888. So that's 138-3737 and then three more eights. That's a great place to call. And then they have the local nonprofits they work for. Okay, so the reason North Carolina is a huge hub for human trafficking is the highways. You go up and north, I food north, 40, like you can get in and out really quick. The sporting events um, is a huge hub for prostitution and escort service. A lot of political events like the Democratic National Convention a couple of years ago. And then you've got the truck stops. A lot of people don't realize that truck stops are a huge hub for human trafficking. Luckily, there's an organization called Truckers Against Trafficking, who I love so much. They're just doing such good work to train these trucking companies on it. But just like any other field, you can't be around the employees 100% of the time. Right. And when they're traveling for months at a time, it's easy to pick up a girl or a boy for sex because something else that a lot of people don't know is that boys can be sexually trafficked as well. Uh, and North Carolina is the first home for boys who've been sexually trafficked in the entire country. It's called Restore One. It's in Greenville, North Carolina. Just opened. It's called Anchor House. Um, it has four beds. It's hard. People are like, only four beds. I'm like, do you know how hard it is to get four beds open? Uh, Mercy's been around for to start so- somewhere. Yeah, Mercy's been around for you know so long, so they built it up. Another uh, common place to find human trafficking is strip clubs. Please do not go there looking for human trafficking. <laughs> Just know that that's a common, a common hub for it. Uh, and another really important thing is do not try to be the savior. Do not try to be the Liam Neeson. Do not try to pass go and collect $200. Like call players, things like that, report it that way. So those are reasons why North Carolina is a big hub. And then, oh, also the Outer Bank. Uh, it's really easy to hide criminal activity through there, especially if you're going, you know, taking the Outer Banks, taking ships or something like that. But then also there's a lot of prostitution oh, wow. there, too. Um, military bases is a huge source for prostitution. Fayetteville, the street where there's a lot of prostitution is called the track. There's a huge track there. And it's unfortunate that military bases, it's very common for that to happen. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks so much for sharing, particularly the Polaris project. I'll make sure that I put that in the show notes, too, so that people can reference that and just have that handy when needed. It's great. And there's also a text phone number there where you can text and report. Well, so, Anna, where can we find you on social media? What's your handle? So my handle is at Mrs. Anna Patak. So it's M-R-S. A-N-N-A-P-T-A-K. That's P-T-A-K. Every single social media handle from Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever, it's all there. Well, and Anna is a great person to follow because she does post a lot of just things going on in the human trafficking world and education posts that have been really helpful to me. So I encourage all of you guys to follow along. Thank so you. So we end the show with a couple of questions. Um, outside of salvation, you know, being saved by Christ, what is an area or situation in your life where you feel like you've really had to depend on the grace of God? My marriage. <laughs> I mean, marriage, hands down, where you've really had to like, I mean, if my husband and I don't keep Christ at the center of our marriage, it wouldn't work. Yeah. Because that's the only way that like, I can forgive him if he messes up. I can give grace to myself. If I mess up, 
things like that. Because marriage is the most beautiful yet hardest thing I feel like anybody will ever do. And hardest not meaning like it's a struggle every single day, but like it's a constant dying to self and serving another person. And I think in today's culture, we become even more selfish because of social media and things like that or whatever. And it's like you have to constantly be caring about another person. And then you add kids onto that. My dogs, I don't really have to give them grace. They just forgive me in like two seconds if I mess up. So why can't we all be like that? You know, let's all be a dog. Let's all be a dog. <laughs> <laughs> Especially a puppy. Let's all be a puppy. So, Chew on yeah. things and run around. Yes, yeah, so that's definitely <laughs> Well, what is an area of your life where you feel like you need to maybe extend that same grace that God has given you to another person? My husband. Yeah, so it's just <laughs> marriage. Damn. Definitely other women who go through it because sometimes I'll get caught up and I'm like, okay, why aren't you choosing life right now? Like, mm-hmm. and I keep forgetting that it's a journey for them as well. Sometimes, if you're ever supporting a safe house and you see, like, you feel like they're not getting that immediate response of, like, okay, a girl is gonna stay and she's gonna go through the program, like, sometimes it takes several times because they don't realize anything's going on. They think that the trafficker is their boyfriend and then they've got kids with him. So it can take a couple of times. So like giving grace to those girls and those boys who it takes a few times. And luckily a lot of nonprofits get that and then they'll welcome them back again um, to try to work with them again. Well, and lastly, I know you don't have any human kids yet, but hopefully in the future you will. And so if you had the opportunity to sit down with your great grandchildren and offer them some wise advice, what would you want them to know? Choose Jesus at all times. Don't over pluck your eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't do it. <laughs> I you love know? it. It's okay to wear white after Labor Day. Confidence is the most important part of your outfit. I'm just saying, like, it's seriously, you can rock anything. That's what my sister tells me all the time. Yeah, yeah. So those are a few things. And I would definitely explain to them what a healthy relationship looks like. I just really want to encourage you if you are married to really love on your spouse in front of your kids, not like have sex in front of them or anything. Don't make <laughs> out. But like, give them a hug, tell them I love you or hold their hand in front of them, things like that. And that the Tar Heels are the right team to go with. What? I yeah. don't know if we can end on that note. Know, right? Yeah. So no, I think- I'm a Kentucky girl, so I'm oh, fine. Okay. I cheer for the yeah. Wildcats. I don't cheer for a North Carolina team. So I would much rather North Carolina over Duke. Sorry, all of my listeners who are yeah. Duke fans. It's okay. She's still cool. Don't don't stop listening. Don't <laughs> stop listening. Yeah, that's what I can think of. Oh, and don't settle for the wrong guy. Oh, yeah, don't settle. Don't settle. Don't settle. Yes, because single life is better than being in a relationship with the wrong person. I agree completely. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been good. So hopefully everybody enjoyed it. Thank you for using your time to listen to today's episode. If you have further questions, Anna would love to connect with you on Instagram. Be sure to check out the show notes for links and resources at graceenoughpodcast.com. Be sure to head over to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Google Play and subscribe. Clicking that subscribe button helps to make sure you never miss a new episode of the Grace Enough Podcast. 
Next week, there will be an episode released on both Tuesday and Thursday. If you share the show on social media, be sure to use the hashtag GraceEnoughPodcast or tag me at GraceEnoughPodcast underscore Amber on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.